You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is a standalone message titled Portal of Joy, which is from Creekside's Vision Rally Sunday. For more info, please visit creekside.org. This morning, I wanted to bring some uh, different people up here, and it could have been psh, so many others, but we just kind of felt like we'd call these people and just say, would you like to just answer a few questions about serving in the Creekside, uh, minist- on the Creekside ministry team? And so they all graciously said yes. And so this morning, we're gonna, I'm just going to ask them, pepper them with a couple of questions, have them give the answers, and you get to hear from them. Uh, this here is... Antoinette Cardoso, correct? Did I get it right? Okay. And this is Robles Connor, my good friend. No, Connor Robles. I started to say that last service, so I just thought I'd give it away this time. And this is Bill Wiebach, and a good friend. And I might even tell a story about him later. But let's start over here. And uh, tell us who you are, how long you've been coming to Creekside, and uh, what ministries you're involved in, please. Well, I'm Bill Wiebach. Uh I don't know how long I've been coming here. I don't keep track. Uh, but I think it's been around 20 years or so. And uh, I'm on the First Impressions team. Awesome. My name's Connor. I've been coming here for a year and a half. Uh, I serve on the photography team. I volunteer with the youth staff. And I also help out with Remix on Sundays. Good. Thanks. My name is Antoinette, and um, I've been coming here for maybe four months, and I register the kids in the nursery. How awesome is that, huh? So we got a real newbie, and I'm going to have Antoinette uh, just kind of start with, how did you uh, get involved in Creekside Ministry, and uh, what made you kind of decide to do it? Was it coercion? Um, somebody blackmailing you or dragging you. Uh, t- tell us about the, kind of that process. So, uh, at first, yes, it was a little coercion. Yeah. Yes. I don't know how you picked up on that. Yeah, I well, I, 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 I know how our folks operate, so. Yeah, well, uh, my grandmother, uh, Mary Ford, she's been coming here about three years. And um, I went through a pretty dark time in my life, and I figured that the only thing that really got me out was, like, my faith and like having faith in a higher power. So I decided mm-hmm. this would seem like a really great place to come worship and spend time with my grandma. Hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Thank you. So about a year and a half ago, I, um, I gave my life to Jesus. It was a week afterwards that I came here to Creekside. I really just had this newfound hope and this absolute joy in Jesus, and I need to share that with people. And I was praying all throughout that week, and I was really getting the word, worshiping God, and that's what I really felt was put on my heart was to uh, come and serve with the youth, and I was looking for an opportunity to do that. And I took uh, the step of faith, and I came in uh, just one Sunday, and I came and I talked to... Dustin and and Jake and it's worked out since. <laughs> awesome, good job. I'm kind of a slow learner, <laughs> and I came into the sanctuary one day about ten years ago, and I saw these round tables, and I thought, whoa, this is not going to work. <laughs> and I said, I remember PT saying. Well, it, it beats uh, looking at the back of somebody's head. And, but after that first service, uh, and the following Sunday, and the following Sunday, uh, I just fell in love with it. Uh, I was talking to people. I wasn't saying hello. We were actually talking uh, about a lot of things, be it church, religion, sports, everything. I mean, it was the greatest thing that... I think Creekside have done some wonderful things, but that's one of the greatest things of these round tables. But I felt back then, about 10 years ago, uh, and the reason I know it was 10 years ago, because I asked Pastor Terry, when did you put the tables in earlier? And he told me, like I say, I don't remember, I'm a slow learner, but I wasn't growing enough. Uh, I wasn't growing, I was born, raised, baptized, confirmed in another church, 
And, uh, and I just love this church so much, but I just wasn't growing in God at Creekside. And I can't tell you how or when, but all of a sudden I was on the fresh first impressions team uh, 10 years ago. Bill, could, can I just ask you, did, did entering, uh, did, did jumping on one of those teams, however it happened, that kind of helped accelerate your growth in your faith and in Christ? Immensely. Um, I thought at first uh, I was doing it for Creekside, get closer to Creekside, get closer to God. Um, I had problems with the Bible, uh, parts of it, and uh, then I found out I was doing it for selfish reasons for me, and it meant so much. Um, even at my age, <clears throat> it turned my life around. Uh, I've had a good life, like everybody else, good sides, downsides, but it's been all uphill since I set foot in the sanctuary. Yeah, wow, beautiful, thank you. Uh, what got you involved? How did you get coerced into doing what you're doing? Or led, hopefully led. I just kid about that. We really don't put a lot of pressure on people. Yeah, I was just really pressing into God and uh, my relationship with Jesus. And I was really asking him, um, what is it that you want me to do? And I thought that uh, I had a really rough uh, kind of high school experience. Like I went through a rough patch before I found Jesus. And... I was thinking if I could come and show the love that Jesus showed me to the next generation, maybe God would honor that and that would be a blessing. Yeah, awesome. Good, good. Same for you, what, uh, is, you answered this one. Uh, first of all, tell them how many times you've served since you've been here. I've served once, <laughs> one weekend. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> I think that's awesome that she served one time. Tell me, what was the most fun about it, and did you get kind of any joy out of doing it so far? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I got to know, like, my peers here at the church, and um, everybody's so, like, nice, and it's nice, like, uh, you know, talking with other people, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, not just about church, but, sure. you know, just about things and getting to know the people in my community. So that's, I mean, that, that's why I wanted to serve. Good, good. Yeah. Great reason. Uh, is there anything, uh, because you're the newbie, I'm the newbie. The newest. Yes. There's probably nobody in here that's newer in terms of ministry here. Is there anything that you would encourage them with on why you would encourage them to be involved? <laughs> I, I, for me, it's the, you know to get involved with the people at my church. You know? Okay. So I know everybody here. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a good <laughs> one. How about you, Connor? What would you say? to have, uh, to get people, in, invite them and encourage them to be involved here? Well, what I've been saying this entire time is really just, you need to press in the Lord and really uh, be led by the Spirit and, and be listening and in your word a lot and praying. Um, and secondly, really get with a good group of people here who really care about you, are, are willing to encourage you and build you up into the potential that they see in you. Yeah. What was the question? <laughs> Let me, let's do this one, Bill. What brings you the greatest joy, or what, what gives you joy and satisfaction out of serving? There's so many. Um, you get to meet people, but not just that. The friendships you develop over a period of time, even outside the church, uh, whether it's uh, a cup of coffee on a Thursday morning at skates or a breakfast, you just, I didn't plan that. It just happened. And one of the, another great joy I have, just not long ago, that, that sticks in my mind, a couple came up and I was greeting them and they said this was your, they told me this was their first time here. And that, that's music to my ears. I bring them into the courtyard, uh, show them where the coffee, water, and restrooms are. If they have children, show them uh, where the kids check in and get a program and bring them into the sanctuary. And this couple, I, I sat down at a table, one of these tables I don't like, and, <laughs> and sat them with a, a couple of couples, uh, old, what I call old timers at Creekside, and left them, introduced them and left them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I left. 
And they look me up after the service and thank me for the warm welcome, especially the people that I introduced them at the table. So you people are just awesome. Uh, another one was just recently, um, a young mother came up, I greeted her, and she said this was her second service, hmm. but she brought her son this time. So I figured the first time she was just scouting us out. So I just took her and brought her uh, to the check-in table, and it was just all uphill then. It's just, it's just great. It's a, it's a good feeling, and especially when they thank you. I just want to say on that really quick, when I was younger and I was in and out of youth group, there were some people there, some greeters, who were just so kind to me and actually cared and remembered about the things I told them week after week. And it made me want to come back. And I would come back for those relationships. And I want to say you really model that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So good. Here's what uh, some of you said. What, uh, what do you enjoy most about serving at Creekside, meeting with people, meeting new people? It's helped me to move out of my comfort zone. I love that. Kind of just stretches you a little bit. Connecting with people, I'm able to be a part of our community, uh, showing them that Creekside does not judge and allows me to be good about inviting people to church, and I love encouraging others to use their gifts to serve. Feeling involved and part of something greater than me. Uh, working with a group of people that love to worship God, serving with our unique abilities and passions. Uh, through serving, uh, I've met a lot of close friends and I love greeting new people and contributing helps me feel closer to God and then building community and feeling connected. So there's a lot of those things, loved ones, that happen as you engage in ministry. And that's really the vision. And when we talk about a vision, the vision hasn't changed here. Uh, we just believe in Team Creekside that people really should come not to be spectators, but to be participants. And I know, you know, kick the tires a little bit and make sure that this is where you sense God calling you. Uh, but sometimes the greatest way to find out is to get connected and to start something. And so that's what we're really talking about today. And I want to thank uh, Antoinette and Connor and Bill. Thank you for taking the time, these services, just to come up and share your experience. So would you just give them a wonderful hand and... It's great to meet you, girl. God bless you, friend. God bless you. Thank you. And if you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn to uh, John chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at uh, a familiar story this morning. John chapter 2. Can I just tell you something? You guys sound really good this morning. You don't look very good, but you sound great. No. Sorry, thank you. Usher, did you have that man removed? I know who it is. I will TP his home later. I'm just kidding. You look great, too. But uh, they're just, they're just got a wonderful sense of, of worship and God's presence this morning. Somebody said, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest times in your life, I know this to be true, is when you realize you have purpose and then you come into this confrontation with the living Christ. And you make this decision and you just simply say, Lord, here I am. I want to follow you. I want to do what you want me to do. Uh, so, someone else said it this way that I think is good is that, now, the two most important days of a man or woman's life is, number one, the most important day is when they're born. Uh, the second most important day is when they find out, understand, and know what they were born for. And see, Jesus gives us kind of this wonderful insight into the purpose of our life. A man asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? And he says, well, first of all, number one, priority A is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. And then after you do that, and while you're doing that, is that you begin to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm convinced, loved ones, that this is, where we're entering a new season in the life of our church. It's going to be some kind of shifts that will be taking place. Subtle, but they'll be <clears throat> seismic in some ways at the same time. There are two things that Jesus calls us to do and, and, and it has to do with living on mission as well as living 
in ministry. You understand the difference. Ministry is what we do in this building. Ministry is what we do to take care of one another and people coming in. Mission is what we do outside, usually Monday through Saturday at our schools, at our jobs, at our careers, at the office, in our neighborhoods. And we want to make sure that we are advancing and developing in both of those. So if Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your whole being, and then love your neighbor as yourself, there's a couple of things that we're called to do. Number one, to love and accept people. There's this call that is so easy sometimes to forget. And especially when you live in a culture that we are living in right now, where it is so divisive, so divided, so polarizing because of beliefs, politics, whatever else, is we forget that we're called to love every person that we meet. It doesn't matter their background, their belief system, where they are now, where we think they're going. Well, I'm glad a few of us agree with that. (laughs) Thank you, Joe. Can I just tell you something? That's really important. And that would be worth clapping for. Because If the church doesn't begin to change, and I'm not saying this church, I'm saying the church. If the church doesn't understand the difference between accepting everybody who they are and where they are versus approving of what they do, we're going to have a hard time reaching the lost. Because see, we have this problem in the church. Again, when I say the church today, I'm talking about the church, not necessarily Creekside. We have a problem because we believe that everybody should agree with us, believe what we believe, and, under, and, and behave and do the things that we do, and they're out there in the world, and they don't even have a relationship with Christ. How in the world is that congruent? But God says, you know what? I want you to love, and I want you to accept people. I mean, think about it. Jesus, he welcomed everyone. He welcomed sinners, Gentiles, lepers, IRS tax collectors, even proud 49er fans. He accepted everybody, okay? And you Raider fans should be at least applauding on that one. I finally... But here's the deal. We love and we accept, and then Jesus begins this work of changing and transforming people. And if we love and accept, then we learn to serve people because that's how we ultimately show our love. It's putting RPMs. It's putting action behind our words. It's where we add value to another person, and that's what the church is called to do. We are the church. Never forget it. You and I are the church. We are the expression of Jesus Christ and what the world sees. I love the church. I hope you love the church. I know there's, man, it's got warts, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, got, it's got weird relatives in it, and it's, it's a little bit different at times, and it does some really crazy things, but ultimately, I love the church because it's God's idea. It's who Jesus is. It's how he's manifest in and through us. And our call, call is to be the church, the people of God, where we begin to allow our community and the people around us to see who Jesus is in all of his fullness, in all of his glory to the best of our ability. And the best way to do that is to live incarnationally, to live missionally out there the way that Jesus did, where we're connecting with people, where we're loving them and we're serving them. And that's part of what we're gonna be talking about in the weeks ahead of how we can do that. And I don't say this in any way critically because when we started out doing a lot of big events, it it had a, a, a fairly solid and good impact and influence on the community around us. But what we're finding now is just doing a great event, a big event, and filling our campus with a lot of people isn't necessarily moving the mission of what God's called us to do to reach people forward and to move people toward Jesus. So I'm going to be crowding us as a church in the season ahead. And I want us to see that, you know what? Our mission is ultimately, if we did nothing else, it's to reach people and to help them change their zip code from hell to heaven. And that's our calling. 
and, and everything else we do, we'll continue to do some things, but that has to become front burner, high octane, priority one for our community. And I want you to be praying toward that. I asked first service this, and I said, ah, I just want to make you feel guilty for about 30 seconds. And because uh, it really it applies to me, so I feel really guilty. That's why I don't feel too bad asking it. But, 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 but here's the question that I'm going to be asking. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? Don't, don't answer it. Don't answer it. It's, 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 it's a, a rhetorical question, kind of out there. But I'm going to be asking it later. But here's the deal. When was the last time we, you invited somebody, said, hey, I want you to come and join me at church, or I'll pick you up, or I'll meet you here? And see, and this is, and I say this with great love, because I'm part of this. That I think we, we've kind of become a little bit isolated, and in, not insulated as much, but isolated. And we want to get back out and infuse and walk among the people of our community. So we're going to be talking about that. And here's the reason I'm talking about today. See, because of that, we want to be ready for people to come. Let's just say some of you said, oh, okay, PT, then we're going to take you up on that. And 60 of you walked out today and said, I'm going to invite somebody next week. And all of a sudden, we had 50 new people next Sunday. Would we be ready? If we had 10 more babies come, if we had 10 more toddlers come, if we had 30 more adults come, would we be ready? I don't know. Do we have enough children workers? Do we have enough nursery workers for that many more babies because of the ratios that we have to have to have a healthy, safe environment? Do we have enough tables here for 30 or 40 more adults? I don't know. It might be kind of crowded. See what I mean? Because sometimes when it comes to ministry, you know, we're trying to build teams, and I'll talk about uh, why the, where the shirts come from in a few minutes. But we, we want to build teams, and sometimes we come on a Sunday morning and people go, oh, you know, they don't really need me. I'm just kind of hanging out. You know, they're greeting five other people before they get to me, or, you know, I'm not needed in this ministry or that ministry. Do you know why we always do that? Because we're always going to be believing and praying and asking God, would you bring new people? Would you out here begin to invite people to what we're doing? And if we're going to do that, we want to be ready because the biggest turnoff is if we invite all these people and they go, wow, my kid was with 12 other kids and one adult. Or walked into church. And you know what? There wasn't one friendly person that greeted me. There's too many people around. See what I mean? That's, and that's why the ministry inside Creekside becomes so important. It isn't because we want to feel good about ourselves and build our own platform. It's because when the community comes in, we want to make sure that they know that we've been thinking about them and we're prepared for them and that we love them and care for them. That's why ministry is so important in here. So that when we're doing the mission out there, it says to the people that come in, we're ready. We care. John chapter 2. Lovely story. Beautiful story. It's a wedding. On the third day, first one. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. The third day is just referring back to chapter one when Jesus was doing some ministry and then he left, I believe, Nazareth to come to Cana of Galilee, which was about a, th a three-day walk. So he's just kind of given this little bit of historical and chronological context. So they go to this wedding and it says, first thing, Jesus, his mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. <coughs> Excuse me. So they're probably there because of Jesus's mother. And the disciples are there because of Jesus. And it says in verse three, kind of just like, kind of a random thought. And the wine ran out. Excuse me. <coughs> well, Jesus's mother told him, excuse me. It says, when the wine ran out, Jesus's mother told Jesus, they don't have any wine. Well, then Jesus says, well, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? 
Yeah. Wow, Jesus. Take it easy, you know? <laughs> Let's go full flaps here, okay? It's your mama. Well, you have to understand a couple of things that it's probably taking place. First of all, he's being very respectful when he calls her woman. If you remember when he's dying on the cross, that was the first word, or the, excuse me, the last word that he said to her. He said, woman, uh, and, and he calls her woman, which in that culture, in that context, was a very dear and endearing word. It, there probably is a little bit of a gentle rebuke going on with what he's saying there as he asks this question. And he gives her the answer. And he says this, my hour has not come. My hour has not come. Well, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see there's a number of places where Jesus talks about his hour. My hour has not arrived. My hour has not come. My hour is not here yet. And then in John chapter 17, he gives the high priestly prayer. He's getting ready. He's been, uh, he's been betrayed. He's going to be betrayed. And he says to the Father, he says, my hour has now come. And he's basically declaring it's time for me to die for the sins and the salvation of the world. So what he's saying here, he says, you know something, mama, uh, this isn't my time yet to really get into all of this and do what you want. Now, notice how she responds. She turns to the servants there at this wedding and she says, do whatever he says. His mother told the servants. Now, there's six stone water pots that had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 different gallons, excuse me, 20 or 30 gallons. Now, this is interesting. Verse 7, we just, I don't know how much time has lapsed. But Jesus turns to him and says, fill the jars with water, he told the servants. <clears throat> so they filled them to the brim, and then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. And when the chief servant tasted the water, parenthetically added, after it had become wine, He didn't know where it came from. Now get this. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and he told him, everybody sets out the fine wine first. Then after people have drunk freely, the taste buds are a little numbed. Then they bring out the inferior, but no, not you. You have kept the fine wine until now. And what does it say here? It says that Jesus performed his first sign <clears throat> in Cana of Galilee, Galilee, and he displayed his glory. And his disciples there at that moment, as they see this incredible miracle, they believed in him. <clears throat> I want you to see that, uh, just to kind of walk you through this narrative, we see here, there's this wedding. The Jews... Uh, at this time, they would have attached great importance on these high moments of life. <clears throat> Excuse me. A wedding was not just a brief ceremony, but it was, it was an experience that would have been shared by the whole community. Uh, the typical wedding feast could have lasted up to seven days. And it was really this time where it was a, a hospitality was so sacred. If the family put it on, it was critical that it turned out well. Uh, th this sounds a little bit strange to our way of thinking as at our weddings, the bride and groom, there's all this buildup to it. And at the time that they basically say, I do and have a dinner, it's we be gone. We're out of here. We want to get on to the next thing. You know, they don't want to hang around with all their family and all their friends. But in this setting, it was interesting because this was a celebration. This was a family. This was a community. This was a village celebration. This offered them a bright interlude, a respite from the generally dreary existence that these Jewish people existed in as they lived under the Roman oppression and rulership. This gave them some fun. This gave them some time to forget all the stuff that was going around them in life. Because the ceremony probably would have begun on, a, begun on a Wednesday. There would have been a feast and then the celebration and the ceremony. And then after the wedding, the father and the bride and the groom and the wedding party, they would have probably begun to walk through the village so that everybody could celebrate with them and offer their congratulations. It was an incredible community experience. Weddings were this time of immense joy for so many people around them. Uh, the Jewish rabbis actually went as far as to say that without wine, 
there is no joy. And so what do we see in the opening narrative of this incredible story? The first words are, and the wine ran out. That's major. To run out of wine would have been a major gaffe. It would have been a big goof up. It would have been a social faux pas. It would have been call Martha Stewart proportions. We've got a problem. It was that bad. See, it would have been taken seriously by the families to be able to get enough wine to prepare for this wedding and the feast and the celebration that would have taken, uh, taken part over a number of days. This was serious stuff. Because with something like this happening, it would have humiliated the parents. It would have humiliated the bride and groom. It would have been a social embarrassment. Could you imagine if we had a wedding here? Let's just say with this crowd right here. You come here today for a wedding for Bob and Sally. Bob and Sally are excited. You sent your invitation back. They said, we're coming. We can't wait. And you come, and on the, on the invitation, it says, if you come, man, we're going to be serving prime rib. We got, uh, we got all the fixes. We got a great dessert. And you're saying, yeah, free meal. Get through the wedding. We'll hang out. A lot of wine, whatever else. And all of a sudden, the wedding's over, and you can just smell the prime rib emanating. And you can see the nacho chips hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> And so you get this big, long line going out that door. And as you get to that door, the, uh, the, 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 the meat just, just wafts in. And all of a sudden, you're, you're in this line, and, and the line's going from the door back to here. And somebody stands at the door and says, hey, I need your attention. Really sorry. We just ran out of food. Can you imagine how you feel? Most of us, what would we do? We would go, hey, no problem. I understand. We can make a, you know, we can make a couple hundred people mistake anytime, right? <laughs> but when you were driving home with your spouse, you would have gone, what a bunch of yahoos. You, are, are you kidding me? How could they keep us for a whole wedding, stand in line, and then run out and we're on the bad end of that? And then you finally get over it a few months later, because whenever you come to church, somebody would be bringing it up. Hey, did you get food? No, I didn't get food, man. I got stuck. <laughs> and then 10 years later, you're sitting in a small group. You know, you remember when Riley's ran out of food? That wasn't that the craziest thing. See, that's the kind of seriousness this is. They would have been humiliated for years. They would have followed them around. That's how sacred, that's how serious this act of hospitality was. Maybe it's just that it was a lower because it sounds like Mary could have easily been maybe one of the family members. Maybe it was just a lower socioeconomic wedding feast that couldn't afford much. We really don't know. But we do know it would have been an embarrassment. And we see Mary here. She's the one that kind of, she kind of steps up. She starts to take charge. And the first thing it seems like she goes, and she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we are out of vino. What are we going to do? Can you get more shards, some cab, whatever? Just come up with it. We need something. And Jesus says, I'm sorry. Now, it's probable that Mary had some kind of close connection to the wedding party because she's doing kind of this hostess piece. And so she would have felt pressure too. But there's, it's possible that as you read, scholars say there could have been some other issues that were underlying. Maybe it could have been this. You know, Jesus, a lot of the community, uh, because it was well known that Joseph, quote, wasn't his father, and it was kind of this, oh, yeah, yeah, God, immaculate, conception, all of that. Uh, there, there, we read in the Gospels in a few different places where um, Mary took some heat. Oh, yeah, come on, really? God? <laughs> so she knows in her heart what God has told her. If you read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 and 2, as she gets the annunciation from the angels and she starts getting these words from God, it says in the Gospel of Luke that she began to treasure up these words and these experiences and these prophetic words over Jesus, that he was the coming Messiah and all this. So she's been putting up with this questioning, doubting, almost cynicism that maybe it was just a plain old illegitimate child. 
And so maybe she wants to break free from that. And so she turns to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, bail me out here. Not only is this going to be embarrassing, but I'm tired of all the, the rumors and the reputation that I've got. Could you do some God thing right now? Reveal yourself. And what does Jesus do? He says, I don't, I don't think so. And Jesus graciously, but still kind of with the rebuke, says, woman, it's not my time. Now, this is what's cool, is Mary doesn't get mad. She doesn't uh, yell back. She doesn't try and take charge. She says this one simple statement. She turns to the servants that were probably working for her, and she says this. Hey, whatever he says, do it. I love that. Whatever he says, do it. Did you know that these are the last words that Mary spoke in the Bible that are recorded? And everything points to Jesus. Well, Jesus is there. Probably an invited guest because of Mary. I find it interesting. We're not sure how long, but in between verse four, four, where it's none of my concern, down to verse seven, you know, that's only that far. And And all of a sudden, there's like this switch. We don't know why. But all of a sudden, Jesus decides to do something. And he turns to the servants and he gives them the directive. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to fill those six pots of 20 to 30 gallons each. Now, this is a wedding. These servants have been serving. And all of a sudden, he says, I want you to go fill them with water. They were actually set aside to be filled with water later at probably another part of the feast when they would do these, quote, ceremonial cleansings where the, the, the Jewish people, they would oftentimes eat, uh, excuse me, wash their hands before they would eat. And then they would oftentimes wash their hands in between some of the courses that they would eat. And then they would wash their hands at the end. But Jesus says, no, here's what we're going to use it for. I want you to go fill those things with water. Now imagine this. I just thought of this this morning. Do you realize how much 20 to 30 gallons is? Six pots? I was thinking, that's a lot. And, and, I, and I went and I got this five-gallon thing and I put two and a half gallons of water in it. And that's about all I could carry. It's like, you know? And I'm thinking, how do these guys, how were they going to transport the water from the well to be able to put it into these six 20 to 30 gallon pots. That would have been a lot of work. Because I had to go and I had to get two and a half gallons. And then, you know what? I I wouldn't want to carry five gallons. Two and a half would be about the max. So we don't know how many servants they had there. We just know, can I just tell you something? There's a lot of work. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of strain. But they did it, because that's what servants do. They don't care about what it costs. They don't care about how much time. They don't care about how much energy. Servants make it happen. Now, this is the first miracle that Jesus, it says that Jesus does, and he does it as a sign. Whenever the Bible talks about first happenings, things that happen first, it's usually for a very specific purpose. And can I tell you what I believe that one of the key things that Jesus wants us to know about his life because of this passage, and it's the first miracle he does, I would say that Jesus wants us to know that he comes as the life of the party. Now, I know some of you, that's really uncomfortable territory. Come on, let's get serious. You know, Jesus wants to tell us how to get right, and and absolutely he does. But isn't it interesting that Jesus, everywhere he went, was a party? was a meal, was a dinner. He had fun. People loved him. He was the life of the party. And he's saying, at this momentous, important occasion of marriage, I not only want to speak blessing over it, but I want you to know that I come to be the life of your party. So these servants, they come and they fill this water to the brim. And Jesus says, take a sampling to the master. Now, I'm thinking, I don't want to be that guy. You know, there's already a tense moment here because everybody knows they're starting to run out of wine. So Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to go give some to the, to the head person. 
And so they're probably looking at each other. You want to go? You want to go? No, I don't want to go. Because why? Because they're thinking, oh my goodness, I got water over here. And if I take it to this guy, what's it going to be? I mean, is it going to just, is it going to be like a strawberry boons farm? <laughs> you know? And, and some of you that are laughing are probably older because you remember that wretched stuff. Or maybe it's just going to be some like cheap two buck chuck and this guy's, and he's going to look at us and he's going to go, uh, you know what, tomorrow you're done. So one of them finally gets it, whether it's a cup, a ladle, I don't know, he takes it, somebody takes it to the master and he drinks it. And after tasting it, he says, Oh, you didn't give the best first. You saved the best Cabernet for last. Imagine that servant's relief. Years ago, Johnny Carson, when he was host of the Tonight Show, some of you that are, uh, will remember that, he had this little boy on there, and he was on there, and Johnny was interviewing for just a few minutes because he had helped save two boys in a coal mine in West Virginia. So they kind of brought him on and prepped him for it. And, and uh, Johnny asks him a couple of questions and quickly learns that he's a churchgoer. And so uh, he ends up asking the boy, and uh, he says, that, uh, tell me, what did you learn in church this last week in Sunday school? And the little boy kind of lay, goes, well, you know, we learned about, you know, Jesus. And he takes this, he went to this wedding and he turned water into wine. And, and uh, Johnny kind of looks at him and the crowd's just going crazy, loving it because he's so cute. And Johnny's keeping a straight face. And he says, well, tell me, young man, what did you learn and take away from that story? Kid wasn't really prepared for that question because he hadn't heard it before. And he looks up after thinking for a moment and he goes, Always invite Jesus to your wedding, you know? <laughs> and I thought, that's another key point here. <laughs> Always invite Jesus to your wedding. You know what? Always invite Jesus. He's here. But make sure that we're thinking about him being in our midst in our church. Because this is supposed to be a celebration of who he is, what he's done, what we can do for him and make it better for other people. Help one another. Serve each other. That little boy's on to something because church is a celebration. And Jesus is always here, but we want to make sure that he is the primary guest and the focus because that's where miracles happen. Did you know that you're a pot? Not, not like a not pot, I mean, not like legal pot or anything. I mean, you're a pot. <laughs> Jesus said, take these pots and fill them to the brim. So they did. Uh, and, and they just took these big pots and they filled them to the brim. Scripture says, loved ones, to you and me, that we're pots. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure what? In what? What is this treasure in? Oh, it's earthen vessels that were filled with this treasure so that the power of God is seen not in us, but in him. What is it we need to fill our vessels with? Well, if we stay with the parallel of the story, our pots need to be filled with water too. Well, what is water? Is it going to turn to wine? Well, no, it could. But Paul says in Ephesians 5, the symbol of water is God's word. So for us to understand and to move in being great servants and to move in the dimensions of the miraculous that we'll be talking about is we need to be filled with God's word. Hey, do you want to renew your marriage? Do you have relationships that you want to renew? Do you want to experience joy renewed like Peter said, that we experience joy and full of glory? Then to begin to fill your life with the water God's word. If your life is a bit flat, if you've lost some fizz, fill your life to the brim with the water of God's word. Fill your life with him so that you begin to bubble over again as you hear him, you hear his voice, and you respond to him. See, everyone in this room, 
we have different degrees of brokenness. You, you may not agree with me, but it's true. And God says, you know what? Even though there's brokenness in your life, you're still a pot that I want to use and I want to fill. I want to, I want to fill you with my life and my spirit, and my word, so that you can be poured out and you can bring life to other people. Don't forget, loved ones, we're a pot. But then he talks about these servants. What do they do? Ah, they just answer the call to serve. They show up, they do. They do the heavy lifting. They do the heavy pouring for Lord knows how long. They're minor players in this narrative, but they're an incredible example to us. They do the mundane. They do what needs to be done. There's no applause. But servants are the ones who get to see the miraculous. That's what the scripture says there. Nobody knew, but the servants saw. They knew where the water came from. They knew where the wine came from, that it came from water. They knew that Jesus is the one that did the work. When did the miracle take place? We don't know. Was it when pot one was filled? Was it when pot three was filled? Was it when all the pots were filled? Was it when they ladled some out to take to the master? Was it when the master sipped of the water? Was it when somebody stuck their finger in it to taste it and see what it was? Was it when it was poured out to it? We don't know. Here's what we do know, that this miracle inexplicably, amazingly, miraculously took place. And the servants were the ones who got to see. They had the courtside seat to this miracle, this first miracle that Jesus does. Somewhere from the first step of obedience that they took until the first sip of wine, it happened. We don't know. But they were obedient to serve Jesus. And they were just simply filling pots. Isn't it true that sometimes miracles hide when we walk and just take our steps and walk day by day in our obedience? You ever notice that? We miss a lot of miracles because we forget really what the greatest miracles are. See, it's so easy to get into this religious mindset. And don't we want to find the key to everything? We're kind of, we're kind of that way. I, I, I'm involved in churches, and everybody wants to know, what's the, what's the key to church growth? Everybody wants to know, what's the key to a good marriage? You got a key for a good marriage? Everybody wants to know what a good key is to finances. Everybody wants a key to something. But you know what? There are very few keys to anything. You know what, you know what the key is? Here's the key. We get it from the servants. Get up every day get your water, pour your water, you do what you're supposed to do, and then you go back and you do it again, and then pretty soon, guess what? You do what Jesus says, and all of a sudden, there's a miracle. What do you mean? Well, how many of us in here have seen a miracle lately? You know what the greatest miracles are that I see now? It's called life transformation. Greatest miracle that I love seeing is when a people go, when a person moves from following their own life to become a follower of Jesus. There's some in this room. There was some in first service that I thought, "Are you kidding me? They're never going to follow Jesus." Oh, ye of little faith. I mean, I kind of said that, not really, but kind of. I got another friend. I'm wondering, oh, well, is he going to make the step of faith? But you know what I keep doing? I just keep pulling the water. I just keep doing things that hopefully serve him and show him the love of God. The key, loved ones, is found in filling your buckets with Jesus day by day and doing things week after week and touching people and serving people and worshiping Jesus and doing what Jesus says to do. Because God always takes us through a process. Jesus took these guys through a process. He didn't just go, hey, come here, watch this. D do you think that he couldn't have filled that water by saying, I'm going to fill these with water, then turn them to wine? Of course not. He could have done it. He could say, hey, watch this. I'm going to fill these things with water. Water, fill. 
Cool, Lord. But no, he always involves us in the miraculous. He always involves us in the process because he wants to teach us and show us to serve. There's people in here that have been reached out to for years. And you've come to Jesus. You are a miracle. You are a sign and a wonder of his grace. And hear me, loved ones, in every one of your lives, at some point, God calls us to be serving. In our lives, it's never can God use us. It's where can God use us and our gifts and our talents. And in here on a Sunday, this is where we can start. This is where we can practice. And we can begin to love and to show and to serve and to accept people. Because servants always experience and they give joy. See, the headmaster knew that the best was saved for last. He didn't know how it happened. He just knew that it happened. Your life, your marriage, your ministry, anything in your life can always get better and better. It doesn't have to get worse and worse because of time. But here's the key. You keep picking up the the buckets. You keep serving your boss. You keep serving your spouse. You keep serving your children. You keep serving your work. And guess what? Pretty soon, miracles and things will begin to happen. Creekside Church, on this day, it's my prayer that this might be a day where we fill ourselves anew with Jesus and refocus on his word and begin to hear his voice and respond with servants hearts to be able to see the miraculous in the season ahead of what Jesus wants to do in us and through us. What if we made it, hear me, what if we made it our prayer every day and every Sunday for God to open the doors and that we just simply learn to love people and to be able to do what he says to do? What if we made that our prayer? God, would you just use me today? You get up tomorrow, Monday morning. You're going to school. You're going to work. Hey, God, would you just use me today? What do you think that would do for your life? Ephesians 3.20 says that, that God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can think, dream, or imagine. And here's what's going to happen when you begin to think like that. God is always going to do more than you ask. Do you think those pot fillers thought that they were going to get to see the first, mirac- the first miracle of the Messiah? No way. But because they served, they got to see it. It's seldom about your abilities, loved ones. It's always about our availability. The enemy will want to distract you from filling pots but you know why you're doing it. God is at work. He's up to something. We don't always see it. You know what the portal to greatness is? It's always through the servant's portal. You want to be great? You got to step through the servant's portal. What's a portal? It's a doorway. It's a gate. It's an entrance. It's a large and imposing one oftentimes. For some of us in this room, it's possible that when I talk about being a servant, even inside the safety of this ministry on a Sunday, you go, oh man, it's too big for me. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. Ah, you know what? I probably don't, but God does. Here, we've all got stuff. We all got stuff. Here's the question. Is God's, gra- is God's grace greater than your stuff? Is God's love greater than your stuff? Is God's grace greater than your seeming inadequacies or inabilities? I don't think, I think so. That's why I'm up here. I I, I was thinking about this this morning. I have gone so much further than I ever dreamed. I thought I might, you know, do a youth ministry with 10 kids, you know, 20. I thought I might, you know, maybe live in California sometime. I've been all over the world because God has done it. The greatest way to be used of God, loved ones, is to position ourselves as a servant. Jesus, God, came to earth to serve and not be served. He washed the feet of his followers. He gave his life as a ransom for humanity. He laid down his life. Jesus didn't talk about it. He lived it and he modeled it. Do you realize that if you want to rise up, go down low? Because the lower you go, the higher you'll rise. And that is just simply divine mathematics. 
Have you ever noticed how often the real heroes of the church, they aren't the people that can sing great. They're not the people that can speak great. You know who the heroes of the church are? It's the people who show up and they serve. I could start naming names of people in this room, but I won't. I will name one name because of this reason. He's dying. And I've been walking with, Carl's been a friend of mine for years now, and most of you know he's dying, and it's, it's, it's imminent. It's not like, eh, it's close. But we talk and text and everything, and here's what he's always saying to me. He goes, you know, these people come to me. They write me, or they stop by, and they call me, or they say, you know what they say? They say, thanks for being there. Thanks for serving. Thanks for giving your life for us. They don't say anything like, wow, you're such a great builder. Wow, you did this and built this and did this at the church. He's almost in tears. And if you know Carl, he's not a crier. But he says, everyone just says what a servant and what a help I've been to them. See, that's what people remember. That's what Jesus calls us to. So what should you do? Be available. Be available. This church is built on people that have been available. Listen, I won't say it, but um, it's built on incredible people. Our church is at a place where we've got to raise up new generations of ministry. I'm talking about Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6. You can read about it. The church started growing, and they had to come up with different systems. They, and it said they had to raise up new generations. What generations do we got to raise up? We have young people. We got teenagers. We got a lot of young people involved in ministry. Yahoo, and I'm so proud and thankful for them. We have people that are 80 and 100 still doing ministry. And I go, can, what, what can I do for you? Oh, no, I just love doing this. Here's the new generations. We've got to get younger. We've got to get younger people involved in ministry as well as some of our older people that have never stepped up and served. Because there's always something you can do. Because we've got to get ready and believe that God's going to bring more people. How do you find out about it? Go to our website. Information is in my column. Call Monique, who's our director of uh, ministries. She can help you. We have a class, 301, coming up in a few weeks. Come to that and we can help you. Find what you want to do. We don't make people or ask people to do anything they don't want to do. We want it to be what you want to do. Here's the deal, loved ones. Almost done. We want to build a ministry dream team. That term was coined in 1992 about a basketball team that was going to play in the Olympics. They were the first time that professionals were ever going to be able to play. And so they had guys like Michael Jordan, Pat Ewing, um, Kareem Abdul. I mean, not Kareem, but uh, the guy for the Houston. Just had a great team. Charles Barkley. You know what they had to do? Every one of them had to get small, reduce their ego. Say, I'm going to share this time with you. I'm not going to be the big dog. Work together. Back off. And that's what we want to build here, loved ones, is a dream team. Because we got so many talented people here just to be able to stand up and say, let's stand up and make a difference for our community. Why? Because Jesus loves to bring joy where there's nothing left to party about. He loves to celebrate and party with his people in the good times and in the hard times. 180 gallons of wine, that is a celebration. Not only did Jesus come to party in the dirt of this earth, but he came to party with the broken pots and dirt of this earth, the earthen vessels like you and me. And never forget that Jesus loves to party with you with me and he wants to call us into his service I'm convinced that Jesus wants to bless those who cannot bless themselves and he calls us to partner with him to do it